With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is July the 11th, 2023, the day of the All-Star Game. The Orioles are 54 and 35 here at the All-Star break, arriving at the non-mathematical halfway point of the season on a five-game winning streak. Thanks to their 15-2 demolition of the Twins on Sunday. You already know all about that, but just because it was awesome, let's just run over it in brief. All-Stars Adley Rutschman and Austin Hayes both homered. The team hit six home runs in total. Kyle Gibson struck out 11 batters while pitching seven innings against the Twins. There was partying in the dugout. It was vengeance for the disappointing home series against the Twins. The Orioles are now tied with the Tampa Bay Rays in the loss column, and they're undefeated in the Colton Cowser era. And, you know, the current state of the Orioles is helped both by past waves of prospects. We've got Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson now on the team. Much more recently, we've got Jordan Westberg and Colton Kowser on the team. And on Sunday, we also got news about the next wave of Orioles prospects, or some of it, moving up levels in the Orioles minors. Kobe Mayo is on his way up to AAA Norfolk, and Jackson Holiday is heading to AA Bowie, as I've been hoping for for like a month. And, you know, it's really an interesting difference between the Orioles of right now and the Orioles of, let's say, 10 years ago, because the Orioles... In the Dan Duquette era, they just never really had this kind of what turned into actual waves of prospects. It was just hoping for guys that never amounted to much. And, you know, you had like, okay, one year it's Manny Machado. The next year it's Kevin Gossman. The next year it's Jonathan Scope. And that was like it. 
they had a little bit of, you know, turning Zach Britton from a failed starter into an elite closer, and that helped. But as far as, like, additions to the team from the farm system of a high-ranked prospect, there was very little of that. And, you know, that's one reason why, after a few years, things really fell apart, especially in the starting rotation, the 2016 team, although it made the wild card game. That rotation was horrible, uh, and the 2017 team, it was even worse, and the 2018 team, it was worse still. And that's why the Orioles' fortunes dipped. So we have to hope that Mike Elias can just keep the waves of prospects rolling. And the biggest way to be able to do that is if he can just keep nailing draft picks. So the main thing I really want to talk about in this episode is the Orioles 2023 draft class, or at least the first two days worth of the draft rounds one through 10. Uh, And by the way, I am recording this episode earlier uh, in the day before the home run derby on Monday. So if Adley Rutschman does something awesome and wins the home run derby, I'm sorry, Adley, for not talking about it immediately on this show. But yeah, the Orioles, they used their first round pick on Vanderbilt outfielder Enrique Bradfield Jr. That was the number 17 overall pick in the draft. To me, that was something of a surprise pick. As you know, if you listen to this show, that was not one of the four I discussed as a possible Orioles draft pick, but it was unexpected because it wasn't a certainty that he would even fall to the Orioles at number 17. So not everyone in the draft, you know, mock draft, projection, complex, whatever, really even thought of him as a possible Orioles pick, not because he was a reach, not because he was a, you know, a swerve or a weird underslot pick or whatever, but just because it didn't seem like the Orioles would maybe even have the chance to take him. Mike Elias said, although he saw eight to 10 players from the draft class in person, Bradfield was not one of them, but Bradfield was rated 12th on Keith Law's prospect ranking at the Athletic. He was 17th on the Fangraphs ranking of the draft class. The Orioles drafted him 17th. So basically they got a middle of the first round talent in the middle of the first round and that's good to have going on on paper. And, you know, now it's going to be up to find out whether the Orioles can turn him into a good player. Uh, the immediate reaction to the pick on the MLB Network broadcast was former general manager Dan O'Dowd saying that Bradfield was eight speed and an eight glove, which baseball's weird 20 to 80 scouting scale is sometimes even more weirdly abbreviated as two to eight. So, Eight is as good as you can get. So if you're talking eight speed and eight glove, which that guy was, you're basically saying, okay, this guy is about as fast as a baseball player is going to be. And he's about as good of a center field defender in terms of like making range and making catches that there's going to be. So probably that's hyperbole. You know, if you watch the, uh, MLB broadcasts for the draft. If you read the scouting reports on MLB pipeline, which is the MLB owned outlet, you know, every player in the first round, especially and the higher you go, they just sound like a future all-star. The higher you go, they sound more like a future hall of fame or whatever. Um, I, I do think that's like the one downside of that source is they just want to pump everybody up, which I get it. You know, it's more fun to be excited about players than it is to, pick the nits and say how they're not going to make it. But, um, you know, hopefully that's not too much hyperbole about Bradfield's defense. And, you know, as a Vanderbilt player, I'm sure that that SEC performance was of interest to the Orioles. That's pretty much the 
top notch of the college baseball world right now. I mean, this year, the college world series, the championship uh, was contested between LSU and the university of Florida. That's two teams from that conference. It's uh, it's, it's, it's just the top end. And Enrique Bradfield jr. Stole 130 bases in his three seasons with the Vanderbilt Commodores. So that is a demonstration of that eight speed on the base paths, in addition to whatever defensive value he has. And, oh, by the way, he's also the kind of player who walked more than he struck out in college. A 45 uh, walks in his junior year before being drafted and 40 strikeouts on the year. So, again, I mean, that's against college pitchers. Uh, Some of them are going to go pro eventually, if maybe even this year. But it's uh, it's not the competition he's going to face as a pro. So, the Athletics' Keith Law basically described Bradfield. His main downside is, quote, a swing that needs a ton of help, end quote. And you know what? In the old days, not too distant days, before Mike Elias arrived, that was a dreadful thing to hear about an Orioles prospect and indeed think about when they drafted DJ Stewart at the end of the first round in 2015. That was a guy whose swing was weird and it needed a ton of help, and the Orioles were never able to turn him into a solid big league player. It was just unbelievable that the Orioles might take a weird swing guy and turn him into a useful player, and they didn't. But the Mike Elias Orioles seem to be better at kind of taking some of these now mid-round, mid-first round guys, maybe second or third round guys, and developing them a little bit with a little bit of mechanical changes. So, yeah, I mean, it's not daunting to think that they'll maybe be able to do that with Bradfield. So, I mean, there's some risk involved, but... It seems like he's got a solid floor as a player due to his speed, his defense, and his plate discipline. One um, player he was kind of comp to as maybe a slightly lower-end hopeful outcome is former Major League player Juan Pierre, who was worth 14 wins above replacement before becoming a free agent. And the wildly optimistic outcome for a guy like Bradfield would be if he turned into Kenny Lofton, who had uh, 36 wins above replacement before becoming a free agent and was over 60 war for his career. So there's your, uh, there's your maybe sobering comp and your wildly optimistic comp for past big league players. Uh, so, you know, the Orioles in taking the college outfielder there, there were two alternate picks that I'm kind of going to be watching to see how it works out in comparison to those. The, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays selected Arjun Nimala, who I talked about on this show, and the Atlanta selected the Florida right-handed pitcher, Hurston Waldrop. So uh, those are the two ones for me where I'm going to be like, okay, if Bradfield doesn't make it and one of those guys is a star, I'm going to be like, ah, Mike Elias, maybe you outthought yourself on this one. I don't know. Uh, the pick does not look like it's got any underslot potential like Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser did in 2020 and 2021. So, you know, Bradfield, I think he is a center fielder whose timelines for development line up pretty well with incumbent Orioles center fielder Cedric Mullins becoming a free agent after the 2025 season. So I think for the front office, that's probably the biggest hope if they can just say to Cedric Mullins, hey, thanks for all the memories. Good luck, get paid as a free agent. And then plug in Enrique Bradfield Jr. in 2026. That's what I think. We'll see if it ends up working out like that. 
So let's dip into the mailbag for a minute. This one comes from listener Conrad. It is not about the draft. Conrad writes in and says, Middle relief is probably the most low-hanging fruit way of improving the team. How about a blast from the past? Hunter Harvey. Part of me wants to free myself from wasted hopes of the past that were dashed on the rocks of past front offices. He's been decent for a couple of years now, and the Nationals need rebuilding help. So Conrad, thank you for writing in. My thought about a pitcher like Harvey, really any any baseball player um, that has been on the Orioles before, it's kind of like you can't go home again. And that's not always universally true. Orioles fans, of course, got the nice memory of Eddie Murray coming back and hitting his 500th home run at the end of his career. That was nice. But, you know, just this year, the Orioles had a reunion with Michael Givens, and that's gotten them nowhere And it's not like what happened to Michael Givens is at all connected to Hunter Harvey, but I I don't feel excitement about that. And one reason why is if you look at Hunter Harvey's page on MLB's StatCast, which has all the advanced stuff, there's a lot of blue, which is bad. Pretty much it's all blue except for Harvey's fastball velocity. Particularly, he's giving up an ex- average exit velocity that is in the bottom 20% of the league. That's the bad 20% of the league. Conrad's email said, oh, Harvey's in the top one-fifth. No, I'm sorry, Con- Conrad. Um, the blue means he's actually got 80% of the league having a better av- average exit velocity allowed than him. So uh, Harvey this year, a 3.20 ERA, 3.69 FIP. He is controllable through 2025. He's got a 1.017 whip. Those numbers are pretty good. However, I would like a reliever who does not seem to be due for major batting average on balls in play regression. Harvey this year allowing 245 average on balls in play. Last year, he had a 323 average on balls in play, and his career mark is like 279. So it feels like he's due to regress. I would like the Mike Elias Orioles to not uh, repeat the 2013 mistake of trading for Francisco Rodriguez, who was also due for massive regression and did, in fact, massively regress as an Orioles reliever. He was one of many trades, uh, one of many players added there. Well, not many, but, you know, Scott Feldman didn't make the difference, and Francisco Rodriguez at the end of his career did not either. So, yeah, thanks again, Conrad, and to everyone else who's written in so far. If you would like to have something in the mailbag, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. You can just get a thought off your chest about the Orioles, or if you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future episode of the show. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. So let's get right back into the draft picks. And again, this is only covering rounds 1 through 10. Day 3 of the draft will be happening on here on Tuesday. Probably will not be a ton to say about those guys on this podcast at this juncture. Hopefully... Down the road, there will be something to say about them, but it's unlikely the Orioles are going to take an immediately exciting prospect there. So after their first round pick of Bradfield, they finished day one of the draft and then completed the second day of the draft by drafting an additional four college outfielders, including a full outfield worth of players by the end of the third round, which also saw them bring in University of North Carolina outfielder Mac Horvath, who hit 24 home runs this year and stole 25 bases. So, yeah, that's interesting 2020 potential. And they also drafted in the third round Arkansas outfielder Tavian Josenberger, which is a guy who goes into the uh, Orioles' Baltimore accent potential excitement. Tavian Josenberger would definitely be a good one. Funnily enough, that wasn't even the best uh, prospect Baltimore accent name in the Arkansas outfield, as the Orioles passed on actually higher-ranked out, uh, outfield prospect Jace Bilrofen. So we will not get a chance to say him unless somehow the Orioles trade for him or sign him or whatever way down the road. But anyway, the rest of the draft was just a parade of college right-handed pitchers, most of whom were not from baseball powerhouses, like any any kind of major conference. Uh, the one who kind of was, was their competitive balance round B pick, who they finished up day one of the draft with, which was Florida State right-handed pitcher Jackson Baumeister. He takes immediate um, interest as being the highest pitcher drafted by the uh, Mike Elias regime so far, although he still has to sign, as last year they drafted a pitcher in the third round, Nolan McLean, who did not sign. It is generally a good bet, however, that players drafted rounds one through 10 will sign. So if you look up Baumeister's results or any of these other guys I'm about to rattle through in a minute here, uh, the thing is they're mostly not good. The, uh, what Mike Elias says, the back of the baseball stats, which of course he also famously said the Orioles are looking at more than that. Um, they're, they're not really good other than like their strikeout and maybe their strikeout to walk rates. So like Baumeister had a 5.09 ERA. Not very exciting, right? And the thing to keep in mind about that is really, other than like the top two pitchers who were in the draft class, number one overall pick, Paul Skeens from LSU, and also um, 
Wake Forest right-handed pitcher Rhett Lauder. Both of those guys were sub-2 ERA, but then even like a top-10 pick, Chase Dollander from the University of Tennessee had a 4.75 ERA. So that's a guy at a major program, Tennessee. He was a top-10 pick in the draft, and still his ERA also stunk. So yeah, the results for college guys matter to an extent, but only so much. And I think that's true of pitchers especially. And one reason for that is because they're, the Orioles, and really any team that's at all analytically inclined, is just looking for kind of the uh, the tools that will be used in a successful pro pitcher rather than the immediate results. Because although some colleges are good at developing pitchers, others are not really. The, uh, the fact is the college baseball incentive structure is not set up to turn your players into the best potential pros they can possibly be. You know, they're there to win whatever the most games they can, win their conference, get whatever in the, uh, the regional, the super regional. They, they, that's what they're there to do. And for the most part, it's not turn their players into pros. That's kind of like a secondary benefit if they want to um, get better recruits, right? So, yeah. So, like, Orioles scouting director Brad Sealek talked to Orioles reporters after the draft and on, on his pitchers as a group, he said what the Orioles like about them is quote, whether it's metrics, the velocity, the breaking balls, or the ability to potentially add to or refine some of these guys' deliveries to maximize their arsenals. End quote. That is what Seolek really likes. And, you know, uh, we're, we're going to go through a bunch of pitchers and hopefully some of them can show some of that stuff and turn into interesting pro prospects. But yeah, as for the outfielders, so we had the third round, the comp, uh, the, uh, the comp pick that the Orioles got for not signing McLean last year, Tavian Josenberger, Arkansas, their fifth round pick outfielder, Jake Cunningham from UNC Charlotte, who Sealek noted to reporters, put up a 111 mile an hour exit velocity in a private workout with a wood bat at Camden Yards. So just to give you an idea... The Orioles have played 89 games this year, and only 10 of those games have seen a player on either team exceed 111 miles an hour with a batted ball. So that's not a guarantee that he's going to consistently hit balls hard and far as a pro, but that's definitely interesting potential. The uh, the kind of max exit velo is mostly not something that can be taught. It's just either in the player's kind of uh, genetic ability, you know, the way they can get their, the way they can max out their muscles in a usable way for a baseball player and, uh, you know, get the, the bat onto the ball and Cunningham, it seems is one of those guys who maybe has that. So he's, you know, he's got warts. Otherwise he wouldn't have fallen to the fifth round with that kind of exit velocity, but that's a good place to take a guy with warts and hope for the best. And then just for good measure, they added one more outfielder in the 10th round. That was Matthew Etzel from the University of Southern Mississippi. And about the outfielders as a group, there are five of them, mind you. He said, quote, if there is one trend here, these guys are all very skilled defenders in center field. They can run extremely well. They have good instincts, end quote. So Sealek hopefully will be right about those guys. I don't even know when he's where he's going to play them all. You know, you can't, uh, even if you in, import them entirely at once into the Delmarva Shorebirds low A outfield and displace everyone who's there already, 
there's still only three starting outfielder spots. So I guess maybe you can have somebody DH and rotate. I don't know. That's the Orioles' problem once they sign all these guys. So now let's roll through the pitchers. Third-round pitcher, right-handed pitcher, Kiefer Lord from the University of Washington. The interesting thing immediately about him is uh, he basically took his pandemic boredom into learning advanced pitching ideas, including how to add velocity, and ultimately turn himself into a third-round pick. So good job to Lord. Seelek said of him that he threw about 70% fastballs uh, as a college junior, and the Orioles will be encouraging him to use his breaking pitches more. Fourth round, another right-handed pitcher, Levi Wells from Texas State. On the draft broadcast, MLB's Jim Callis noted that was a guy who was a possible second-round pick before he had a bit of a velocity dip during the season. Uh, He does have a lot of high spin rates, and the MLB Pipeline capsule said of him, a possible four-pitch starter with a bulldog attitude, end quote. Usually you get excited about having like a back-end guy with a bulldog attitude, as long as he doesn't completely suck. I think uh, probably right now that is like the Orioles veteran Kyle Gibson. Uh, You know, last year, Jordan Lyles, there was the, you know, people would say the cool phrase, oh, he's got that dog in him. I don't know that he did really, but that's kind of what you want out of your maybe back-end guy, whatever. Sixth round, again, pitcher right-handed Jacob Cravey from Samford. Not to be confused with Stanford, the Ivy League school. No, that is Samford in Alabama. And Callis said of Cravey, quote, average pitches at best, but throws a lot of strikes, end quote. And interestingly, Cravey has 104.2 innings pitched as a college junior in 17 games. That would actually be second on the Orioles' major league staff this season. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get a innings eater to either kind of just chew his way up through the minor leagues or, you know, whatever, there's worse guys you can get, certainly in the sixth round. In the seventh round, again, a right-handed pitcher, Teddy Sharkey from Coastal Carolina. That's some pretty good name to college synergy. Seems like he was almost exclusively a reliever at college, although Seelek did say that the Orioles may try to stretch him out for multiple innings, possibly even as a guy who could be a starter. And he also said, quote, we're very bullish on his delivery. He already has three pitches he throws for strikes. He's aggressive and goes right at guys, end quote. And, you know, when you get frustrated by pitchers who don't go right at guys and they walk a ton of batters, it is nice to have guys who aren't going to walk a ton of batters. And Sharkey basically brings big velocity and spin rate for a college player. He had a about a four strikeout to walk ratio uh, this season. So again, that was for Coastal Carolina, not one of the huge conferences, not one of the huge colleges, but best of luck to Sharkey. Eighth round, yet another pitcher. Right-handed pitcher Braxton Bragg from Dallas Baptist. Now, he does share a name with an infamous Civil War trader and loser, so he will have a lot to do to get his name up the search engines uh, beyond the 19th century Bragg. To me, he looks like a senior sign. He was a senior this year, probably going to take a discount, maybe give the Orioles about $150,000 that they can use to maybe sign an above-slot guy on day three of the draft. Another small fun fact about Bragg, he roomed with current Orioles pitching prospect Cade Povich at Nebraska because Bragg was at Nebraska before he transferred to Dallas Baptist. Ninth round, another reliever, right-handed pitcher Zach Fruit from Troy. Fruit is six foot four inches. 
He was a graduate student, so again, he's probably also going to be a discounted sign to get some day three money. He's already 23 years old. So, you know, if you look around on Twitter, you can always find somebody who's going to say that such and such pick was the steal of the draft. There's always someone out there who believes in these guys. And the reality is the, uh, you know, the odds are the odds, no matter how, uh, how smart Mike Elias and company are. It's just most of them aren't going to make it. It's not super fun to dwell on that. I try not to be too much of the rain on the parade, even as I try and be realistic about it. I think a nice hope for this draft class would be, okay, maybe the Orioles can actually develop a couple of pitching prospects and then maybe add to prospect depth that can be traded from in order for the Orioles to plug holes in their big league roster a year or two or three years down the road. Because, you know, as we know, the Orioles have not been drafting pitchers up until this year. They have been getting third to fifth round pitchers from other teams as they've traded away their veteran players. That included when they traded Dylan Bundy to the Angels and got former fourth round pick Kyle Bradish now in the MLB rotation. And that included last year when they traded Jorge Lopez to the Twins and got Cade Povich, a third round pick. And when they traded Trey Mancini to the Astros and got Chase McDermott, a fourth round pick. So it seems like that avenue is kind of closing. The Orioles don't stink anymore. And so they aren't hopefully not going to be able to uh, make those kind of trade away veteran guys in the middle of the season. They need all their good veterans to help the uh, team continue, especially this year, but you know, next year and beyond whoever's the veteran, they're going to need them to keep having a good record. We can hope anyway. So yeah, I mean, it's just right now in the low minors, like I, I get this from when I'm doing minors recaps on CamdenChat.com. Like when you look at Delmarva, when you look at Aberdeen, and even to some extent Bowie, other than like Povich, it's like it's dire. It's just a lot of guys where I'm like, well, hopefully this guy can keep performing well, and then maybe, you know, at the next level he'll start to look something like a prospect. We got a little bit of that this year with uh former eleventh round pick Justin Armbruster turning into Kind of a lower level prospect, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's they they don't have those guys from the draft, and hopefully this draft class, a few of these guys can turn into prospects in the system who can potentially be in a future Orioles starting rotation. Because for as much wealth as there is of prospects in the system right now, you cannot point at the system and say, okay. Uh, a one, two, three, four, five of a future starting rotation is in there right now. No, it just doesn't look like that. Maybe once some of these guys get in there, Baumeister, Lord, Wells, all the rest of them, maybe we'll get a couple who maybe look like they can get plugged in. So that's all that I have for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can subscribe on your favorite platform and please leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. The next new episode of the podcast will be out on Friday morning. With this caveat, if the Orioles All-Stars collectively do something amazing, I may gush after the All-Star game and have a Wednesday episode. But absent that, next episode, Friday morning, we'll kind of look back on the first half, look ahead to the second half. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on Camden Chat. We'll be happy to see you in the comments there. I go by the name Eat More SK. 
Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.